0: The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Well, the month of November for us at Ambassador has been our Missions Emphasis Month, and we've had missionaries from Africa, from Uganda, from Cambodia. I've had several folks tell me it's been one of our best Missions Emphasis Months that we've had, and we've had just some tremendous times in our evening gatherings as we've had the opportunity to interview and spend time with our missionaries, and it's just been an awesome, awesome experience over the last month. And uh, we're going to be ending that today by uh, focusing on some church planting happening down in Southern California and uh, each week we've been looking at just kind of different areas of our world uh, that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, how many of you realize that uh, there are people in need not just over the seas, but there are people in our own state that need the gospel? How many of you are a believer that California needs Jesus? And I think most of us would agree with that. And so today we have the privilege of having with us a church planner to Southern California. Uh, my friend Matt Chapel is going to be with us today. He's going to share a little bit about his ministry. Uh, some of you remember when his father, Dr. Chapel, came, was with us a couple, I think it was last year or the year before, and spoke, and we just had a great time. And uh, he, uh, for those of you who don't know, I think some of you may know this, uh, but I had the opportunity of serving on staff there down in Southern California for about four years and uh, had the opportunity to work there at the church. And so that's kind of where I got to know Matt a little bit from. And uh, he has been working with his uncle uh, at Coastline uh, Baptist Church there uh, with Stephen Chapel. Steve was just with us a few months ago and uh, preached for us. And so we're excited about the opportunity that we have now uh, to hear about Rock Hill Church and what God's going to be doing in Southern California. They've already been doing preview services and they've had several of those. And it's just been exciting to see what God's doing there. And so as we focus on the Gospel as we focus on the Great Commission. We focus on it both from a missions perspective, that is, how do we get the gospel overseas, but also we want to focus on it from a local church perspective. How do we get church planting happening in California and here in the States? And so Matt's going to come here in just a moment. He's going to share with us his vision for uh, Rock Hill Church as well as just spend some time uh, sharing with us a little bit of what God's doing in his heart. But before he does so, uh, let's take some time to read from our text. Acts chapter number 16 is where we'll be in verse number 6. The Bible says now... Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the regions of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Myasia, they assayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Myasia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man, a Macedonian, praying him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Semer... I'm not even going to try to pronounce that one, guys, (laughs) all right? So you can make that one up. And the next day to Napolis. And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of the part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in the city abiding certain days... And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained with us.
1: All right, well, good morning, and uh, we're so happy to be here this morning. Kate and I, we've looked uh, forward to being here for a long time, and uh, we're excited to be here. I'm so thankful for... Uh, my friendship with uh, Pastor Josh and Jenny, and uh, just the encouragement and the example that they've been to us. It's been uh, just such a blessing to us. And uh, also, as we get ready to start a new church, I'm thankful for uh, Ambassador Baptist Church and really being a model of what a healthy church looks like. And as we, as we get, get going and we're gearing up, we just want to uh, learn and look to emulate some of the things that we've seen here, and it's just been such a blessing already. So thank you for your encouragement, your kindness to us. And I'm thankful that my wife, Katie, is here. Katie, if you raise your hand right over here, this is Katie. And uh, we have uh, two children. We have a three-year-old daughter named Olivia, and uh, we have a one-year-old son named Luke, and one uh, baby girl on the way. So due in January, uh, right when we're going to start the church. So perfect timing on our end. And uh, we're going to have a baby right when we start the church. And uh, I remember when my son Luke was born, we kind of had like a father-son moment. They they handed me Luke right away. Katie had a C-section. They gave me uh, Luke, and I was just kind of holding him. And uh, I kind of looked down at him, and I said, Luke, I am your father. And it it was kind of a perfect moment. We've had a special bond ever since then. But uh, I'm glad uh, that Katie's here with me this morning, and uh, uh, we're just thankful to be here. Uh, Like Pastor Josh was saying, Katie and I, we graduated from West Coast Baptist College in 2010. And uh, right after that, we joined staff with uh, my uncle at uh, Coastline Baptist Church in Oceanside, California. And uh, we've been serving there the past really six years. Uh, I've I've been the youth pastor and and, uh, doing other things. We've just loved every minute of it. Uh, But about two years ago, God really started to put on my heart a burden to start a church. And uh, so we started uh, to pray about it, seek counsel, ask a lot of questions, kind of, uh, you know, asking different people about different things. And I remember Katie and I got out a map, a big map. We started circling some areas that we would be interested in going to. And we circled uh, some uh, cities in Washington State, uh, Phoenix area, Uh, different places, but God kept on bringing us back to Southern California, uh, specifically the Inland Empire, and uh, God led us to a city uh, called Fontana, and uh, we're looking forward to starting uh, Rock Hill Baptist Church there in Fontana in January, uh, on January 15th is going to be our launch Sunday, and uh, long before we picked a church name or even picked a location, Kate and I got together and we started praying, and uh, we wanted to come up with a a mission statement for the church, and uh, we prayed about it, thought about it, what's really going to be the driving force of this new church, and uh, we came up with Uh, reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And for us, that's what it's all about, reaching people with the life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus. And that's what uh, we're praying and asking God to do. And uh, so the last several months, we've moved to the city of Fontana, uh, about 200,000 people, uh, several other large cities right real close to us, about 60% of the people uh, claim no religious affiliation at all. And so we believe that it's a prime location to start a gospel-centered preaching church there, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Over the last several months, we've been uh, holding kind of some different meetings, different special events, some kind of interest gatherings in the community. Uh, just trying to meet people and, and uh, kind get of out, get out into the community and hold different events. And uh, God's really been blessing already, meeting several new people that, that live in the area. We've seen about 10 people pray to accept Christ already over the last couple months. So God's already been blessing. God's already been working. And uh, we're praying and believing that God has some great things in store for us uh, in the coming months. Uh, I was out passing out invitations a couple weeks ago, and uh, we were just in the neighborhood just trying to get the word out about the new church plant. And I put an invitation on a door, and I saw that they already had an invitation on the door. And I'm like, how did they get an invitation from our church already? And I, and, I, and I took a step back and I looked on my phone on the map and I thought, great, we already did this area. Like we mapped it out twice. And I was feeling kind of bummed out about that. Like we just, you know, it would put door, invitations on doors that we had already done. And uh, I was talking to a guy that came to one of our uh, special events and I said, how did you hear about the church? And he said, well, I got an invitation on my door and I didn't really think much of it. And then I got another one a couple weeks later, and I thought, man, this is a sign. I've got to come. And so he came, and, uh, and he's been coming ever since. So I'm thankful that God can use us in spite of us. And uh, we're, we're so excited about what God has already done uh, in, in the Inland Empire, and we're praying and asking God to do much more, and uh, we're looking forward to that. So thank you for praying for us. Uh, the next several uh, weeks are going to be really busy for us gearing up to launch the church. We have one more special event in December. We're praying that God will bring in a lot of guests, and then uh, launching the church uh, on January so, if you could pray for us, pray that the uh, financial support would come in and pray that we can continue to meet many new people and that souls uh, would be saved. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to keep it open this morning to Acts chapter 16. And uh, we'll be in Acts 16 and uh, we'll refer back to these verses often. And uh, this morning, I want to talk about how we can navigate through uncertainty and uh, how we can make uh, godly decisions that will lead to divine direction, how we can navigate in life through uncertainty. Uh, how many of you? Uh, Enjoy the fall season. Can I see your hand? You enjoy the fall season. Okay. How many of you uh, have ever done a real-life corn maze? Can I see your hand? You've done a corn maze before. Okay, a few of you. And uh, uh, about a year ago, my family and I, we we all got together and decided that we were going to go try to do a a real-life corn maze. And this was kind of something that I looked forward to for a while. A corn maze was kind of on my bucket list. I wanted to, you know, go and experience a corn maze. I thought it looked fun. And uh, so we shou- showed up to the corn maze, and, you know, all my family and brothers and sisters and their kids and everybody were there. And uh, the lady that was running the maze, she kind of gathered us all together, and she said, I'm going to explain to you how this is going to work and the rules of the corn maze. And uh, so we were listening to her, and I'm thinking, you know, how hard can this be? You know, this isn't, this isn't going to be a big deal. And uh, she said, as you travel through this maze, you're going to find certain doors. And the only way to get through the doors are if you have a certain code that you're going to have to find throughout your journey on the maze. And I'm thinking, no problem, we'll get the code, get through the doors, it's going to be easy. Well, we went through this corn maze, and it turned out to be a little bit harder than I expected. And we're, we're kind of traveling through this maze, and me and my brother were making jokes and kind of laughing, you know, this is, this is fun, until we got to the first door, and we didn't have any codes. And uh, I was thinking, did you see any codes? And he said, no. And, and uh, he didn't have any codes either. So we decided that we were going to split up. And that's like the worst idea ever if you're in a corn maze, okay, to, to split up. And so uh, I went off kind of by myself, and uh, I'm, looking, I'm looking for these codes. I can't find them anywhere. And uh, now I'm not seeing anybody. I'm getting a little bit nervous at this point. Like I'm, I'm not only finding, not, not finding any codes, but now I don't see any people. And I'm like... Katie, you know, like where are you? And uh, this year was, uh, I don't know if it was like an unusually successful crop, but like, like the corn was like really high and really thick, and I couldn't see through it at all. So I was getting a little bit nervous, and I'm kind of thinking, you know, like this is how every horror movie starts. Like some guy with a chainsaw is going to jump out at me right now. I'm getting a little bit, little bit uh, uneasy right now. And finally I saw somebody, and it was like a seven-year-old boy. And uh, I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I, and, I, and I said, hey, did you happen to get any of those codes? And uh, he said, yeah, it was easy. And I was like, yeah, I know, totally. Can I borrow those codes for you real quick? And uh, I ended up having to get the codes from a seven-year-old boy and finding uh, my way out. It took a long time, but I eventually did it. What I envisioned being so awesome and so fun, that, you know, this experience in the corn maze, really turned out to be a nightmare because I was met with these closed doors that I didn't know how to get past. A lot of times as we're navigating through life and as we're kind of on this journey, a lot of times we're going to be met with closed doors that we don't necessarily know how to get past. And making the decision moving forward can sometimes be exhausting, even intimidating and frustrating, knowing which direction that we should take. I read about during World War II, there was a battle where German forces, forces that entered Egypt, and uh, to, to protect their troops, they set up all of these landmines. And uh, it was known as the Battle of al Alamein. And uh, they set up millions of landmines, an estimated 27 million landmines uh, in this area in Egypt. And uh, what's so amazing about this about this area, they, re, they nicknamed it the Devil's Gardens, just all, all these mines. Well, what's amazing about this place is millions of those landmines are still active today. And every year, as people travel through this desert in Egypt, uh, people are injured and people are hurt because they're traveling through this area, and there's just all this danger. And sometimes as we travel through life, it, sometimes it feels like we're traveling through the Devil's Gardens, where there's just traps and temptations at every turn, that we're not really sure where they are, what we're supposed to do. And that's why the Bible says this, in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15, See then that ye walk, everybody say walk. walk, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So we've got to be very careful as we, as we make decisions, as we walk, as we move forward and travel throughout uh, this journey of life. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14 verse number 12, There is a way, everybody say a way, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Sometimes we can think that we're on the right path. Sometimes that that we can think that we're heading in the right direction, when in all reality, we're far from where God wants us to be. I remember I was on vacation a couple years ago, and uh, my dad and my brother and my sister and myself decided that we were going to go golfing. And uh, before we went to the golf course, my dad kind of pulled us all together, and he kind of explained to us, now, golf is a gentleman's sport, and you need to make sure that you're, you know, on your best behavior. Don't be making a lot of loud noises, and kind of just behave, and, and uh, this is a nice golf course. You know, I don't want you guys doing anything crazy. Well, uh, my sister, this was her first time ever uh, being on a golf course, kind of her first experience of, you know, she, she had never done this before, and really, she only went because she wanted to drive the golf cart. She thought that that would be fun, and uh, I remember I was, uh, I was with my dad. We were sitting in the cart, and uh, my brother was with Christine, uh, my sister Christine, and she was driving the cart, and uh, my brother hit a shot uh, real nice shot, went right up on the green, and Larry said, take me, take me to my ball. And uh, so Christine, she drove right up, right up there, and I'm kind of watching here, and she drove right up onto the green and parked right next to the flag, which uh, you don't do that in golf, right? It's a complete no-no. My dad's seeing this, and he's like, what is she doing? My dad's like, Christine, get off the green. I'll never forget, Christine turned back at us, and she's like, what? It's all green. Like, she had, she had no idea (laughs) what he was talking about. She thought that she was on the right path when in all reality, she was far from where she was supposed to be. And sometimes that's how it can be in life. And Paul, in Acts chapter number 16, he's navigating God's will. He's trying to figure out where he's supposed to go in a moment of uncertainty. And I believe that Acts chapter number 16 is one of the greatest passages in all of the New Testament when it comes to uh, discerning and defining God's will uh, for our lives. The the Bible says this in Acts chapter number nine, verse number five. And he said, "This this is Saul on the road to Damascus And he ends up asking the two most important questions in life. Two most important questions in life. Acts chapter 9, verse number 5. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? That's question number one. Who is Jesus? Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? So Saul asked the two most important questions in life. Who is Jesus? And what does he want me to do? Essentially what he's saying is, who is Jesus and what is his plan for my life? What does he want me to do? You know, when it comes to God's plan, when it comes to God's will, there's a lot of misconceptions. Uh, A lot of people treat God's plan or God's will kind of like an undesirable thing, kind of like a diet. Uh, Like if it tastes good or looks good, it's probably not a part of God's will. I probably shouldn't be a part of it. Uh, some people are very spooky when it comes to God's will. It's like, I need a sign, and, and I need to know who I'm supposed to marry. So if I'm wearing red, and oh, that person's wearing red, then man, it's a sign. That, that's God telling me, you know, uh, that that's God's will. And then there are some people that treat God's will kind of like a lottery ticket. Like, very few people are ever going to get it, and if you find God's will, it's, you're, you're very lucky, and, and uh, th- that's kind of their view of God's will. But in all reality, God's will is not something that needs to be feared. It's something that needs to be enjoyed. The Bible says in John 10, 10 that Jesus came not only to give us life, but to give us life more abundantly. So the best life possible is found in the center of God's will. If you want to experience the abundant life, the best life possible, it's found in pursuing God's plan. Now, when it comes to God's plan, we've got we've to define the terms because sometimes people kind of uh, mix them up and get kind of confused when it comes to God's will. When it comes to God's will, it can be explained in three ways. Uh, First of all, uh, God's sovereign will. Okay, God's sovereign will, these are the works of God. These are things that we don't necessarily have a say in. These are things that God has determined uh, before the world. Uh, These are things that God has determined uh, before the foundation of the world, like the creation of, of, of heaven and earth. Okay, the birth of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus. These are God's Uh, sovereign will, okay? And then there's God's moral will, okay? The second area is God's moral will. Uh, God's moral will are, are things that are found in His Word. It's God's moral will for us to be saved. It's God's moral will for us to be sanctified. It's God's moral will for us to abstain from fornication, the Bible says. It's God's will for us to be thankful, okay? So we have God's sovereign will, things that He has determined, Uh, before the foundation of the world. Then there's God's moral will, things that are revealed in His Word. And then there's God's particular will, things that vary from person to person, okay, the specifics. And here's the point. The more familiar we are with God's sovereign will, and the more obedient we are to God's moral will, the easier it will be to determine God's particular will for our lives. A lot of people get so caught up in God's concealed will. Man, what does God want me to do? I need to know the specifics. I need to know answers. When God would say, hey, my revealed will in my word is far more important than my concealed will. Okay, and so we come to Acts chapter number 16, and Paul is going to learn this lesson, and and he's going to teach us some valuable truths about determining uh, God's plan for our lives. And this morning, if you're taking notes, I want to give you just a few statements that I believe will help us uh, uh, navigate through seasons of uncertainty. Number one. We've got to understand that God often directs through dead ends. God often directs through dead ends. Notice verse number six. It says this, Now when they had gone throughout Ferga and the region of Galatia and were forbidden, everybody say forbidden. Forbidden. They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mycenae, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Okay, so here's the Apostle Paul, and uh, he's getting ready to go out on his second missionary journey. He's getting ready to go out and start churches and preach the gospel. He's got a good desire in his heart. He wants to go and, and travel and preach and share the gospel. And uh, he wanted to go uh, to Asia in verse number 6, but the Bible says the, uh, the Holy Ghost forbid him to preach the word in Asia. And so then he said, well, maybe I'll try to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered him not. And so this could have been a very frustrating moment for the Apostle Paul because he has a good desire in his heart. He wants to do what God wants him to do. And he's saying, I'm going to go out and start churches, and and maybe I'll I'll go west into Asia. And God said, no. So Paul said, okay, well, maybe I'll go north into Bithynia. And God said, no. And at this point, I wonder if Paul was thinking, well, what does God want me to do? If I can't go west into Asia and I can't go north into Bithynia, south is water and east is where I just came from, then I'm kind of in no man's land. What does God want me to do in this moment? This could have been very frustrating for the Apostle Paul. Good desire in his heart. I mean, I want to see people saved. I want to do what God wants me to do, but I have no direction right now. God, give me some answers. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 37, verse 23, the steps... Of a good man are ordered by the Lord and delighteth in his way. I believe that with all my heart that the, that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, but I also believe that sometimes the stops of a good man are ordered by the Lord. See, sometimes God wants to stop us in order to steer us in the right direction. Sometimes God will put, put up a dead end. Sometimes God will put up a detour, not to distract us, but really to develop us into his will, into his plan. And sometimes God's gonna say no. And sometimes he directs through dead ends. And that can be so frustrating because we want answers. We want to know, should I go into Bithynia? Should I go into Asia? God, tell me where I'm supposed to go. And sometimes we're just left waiting. And this could have been a frustrating moment for Paul. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse number 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. See, sometimes God wants to stop us. Sometimes God has plans that we don't know about. And so now Paul is kind of in a waiting season. He wants to go and preach and start these churches, but now he's just kind of waiting. And and there's one thing that we all have in common. We don't like to wait, right? Uh, None of us like to wait. None of us uh, strive, maybe, in patience. Um, That's why nobody likes a quick trip to the DMV, right? Because there's no such thing. And uh, I remember a couple months ago, actually about a a year ago, uh, Katie, uh, two years ago, Katie was pregnant. And uh, we needed to go to uh, the DMV and get our car uh, registered. We tried to do it online, but it didn't work, so we had to go in. And uh, we didn't have an appointment And we showed up to the DMV, and the line was just wrapped around the building. There was no parking spaces anywhere. It was just incredibly busy, super frustrating. So I dropped Katie off. She's pregnant. She's waiting in this long line. And I said, I'll go try to find a spot. I'm circling the parking lot, no spots. I finally go out onto the street. I'm like in a neighborhood three blocks down, finally found a spot. And Katie called me and said, hey, I'm done. And I said... What do you mean you're done? And she said, I got the registration. I'm done. Come back. And I'm I'm like totally confused. I I drive back up to the front. She gets in the car. She has a registration. She said, I'm done. And I said, what did you do? And she said, well, I told them that I was pregnant, asked if I didn't have to wait in line, and they gave me the registration. And I looked at her and I said, I love you. Like you are, you're amazing, you know? And it was awesome because I didn't want to have to wait in that long line. We don't like, we don't like to wait. G. Campbell Morgan, uh, he said this, waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means, first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. And third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. And now Paul is in a waiting season. He, he wants to do what God wants him to do, but he's not sure which direction to take. He, he, he's just, he's just kind of stuck, but he's waiting. See, we need to be encouraged this morning that typically whenever God says no, it's because there's a greater yes that's yet to be seen. Sometimes God will say no because there's a greater yes that, that we're unaware of. And so Paul now is embracing uh, this waiting season and waiting for God to give him direction. Notice number two. Number two is this. God's plan is revealed progressively, not instantly. God's plan is revealed progressively, not instantly. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 8. And they, passing by Mycia, came down to Troas. Okay, so Paul is unsure about what he's supposed to do, so he kind of travels in no man's land, and he goes to uh, Troas. Troas. Troas was kind of like a beachfront community, and uh, kind of right there on the coast. And so not a bad idea, not really sure what he's supposed to do. He decides to get a condo on the beach and just kind of wait it out a little bit. And uh, that's what he's doing. He's just, he's just waiting. You know, when it comes to God's plan, a lot of times we like a list. We like specifics. We like to know what, what our next steps are going to be. But God's plan is not revealed instantly all at once. It's revealed progressively, just one step at a time. Uh, how many of you are planners? You like to plan. Can I see your hands? You like to plan things out. I like to plan things out. I like to have itineraries. I like to have uh, welcome packets. I think I got that from my dad. Whenever I travel with my dad, he's organized, and he gives you like a notebook of itineraries. It's like a two-day trip, and you got a full notebook of you know, everything that you're going to be doing. And uh, in fact, when I came uh, here to preach, uh, we, got a, we got an itinerary and a welcome packet. And I was like, this is awesome. You know, I just like packets. I, every time I get a welcome packet, I look through and think it's awesome. Um, wouldn't it be nice— uh, the day that you got saved, that you just got a welcome packet into the family of God. You know, like, congratulations, whoever led to you, Lord, pulls out a packet. Here you go. Here's what your life is going to look like. But that's not how it works, right? That, that's not how God's plan works. It's not revealed instantly. We don't get to just know everything that's going to happen. It's revealed progressively one step at a time. And Paul uh, did not get his plan revealed to him in a moment, but now he's about to get the next step. Okay, notice it in verse number nine. He's going to get the next step. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Okay, so here's Paul, and uh, he gets the next step. He has this vision of a man saying, Hey, I need your help, and, uh, and uh, we, we need you to come. And so Paul has this vision, and, and the next step is revealed uh, to him. God did not tell him everything that he was going to be doing. He didn't say, you're going to go to Macedonia, you're going to go to Philippi, you're going to meet Lydia, and all this is going to happen, you're going to start the church at Philippi. No, he just revealed the next step. A lot of times we're looking so far down the road that we miss the next step that God has for us. I wonder this morning, what is the next step for you? I wonder what the next step that God would have you to take is. Maybe that next step for you is just to share your faith with someone. Maybe that next step for you is to forgive someone. Maybe that next step is to uh, start tithing or, or give to missions. And as, as Pastor Josh comes and talks about faith, promise, giving, maybe that next step for you is to say, you know what, I'm going to start supporting the work of God locally and around the world. I wonder this morning, what is the next step? Because a lot of times we get so, so caught up in what's down the road, and God says, how about you just do what's already revealed in scripture, How about you just do what has already been revealed in my moral will? And so now Paul has the next step, and uh, he, he says, okay, we're going we're gonna to do this. Notice what it says in verse number 10. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we—everybody say we— we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. And I love those words in that verse, in verse number 10, that says, assuredly gathering. And what that means is that, that Paul's team, that they're gathering all the information. They're getting the facts together. They're considering all the, uh, all the uh, significant uh, factors that go into this decision. They're not just saying, okay, we're just going to go ahead and do this. They say, no, let's get together as a team. Let's be patient. Let's gather all the facts. Let's see uh, w- what, what uh, God would have us to do. And so now they have this next step, and they're going to get ready uh, to go. Notice... Uh, 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 number three this morning. God's favor will follow our surrender. God's favor will follow our surrender. Verse number 10 says this, And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering all the, uh, the, they're pondering the significant factors, that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, Loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samuel Shia. I had to practice that one. And the next day to Neapolis. Okay? So, so here we see Paul and his team, they're getting ready to go, and, and now we see the favor of God is upon them. They surrendered, they said, God, okay, we're going to do what you want us to do, and now God's favor is following them. They decide that they're going to go uh, into uh, Macedonia. And there's a few words in verses 10 and 11 that give us an idea about how God is favoring them. In verse number 10 it says, in verse number 11 it says, therefore loosing from Troas, okay, that was a nautical term. That meant that they were going by boat. That meant that God provided them a boat. It says that they were loosing from Troas, and we came with a straight course to Samothrachia. And the next day to Neapolis, that, that, that meant that they had a boat, and that they made the trip in two days. The next day, they were at uh, Neapolis. In Acts chapter number 20, verse number 6, they make the same tri- trip back, and it took them five days. And so we know that this was a very uh, quick trip. We know that the weather was favorable. The wind was to their back. Listen, uh, not always in the Christian journey, not always in our human experience is the, is the wind going to be to our back and things are going to be easy. The Bible says that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But there are significant moments and there are significant seasons in life when God's going to propel you into the future uh, that he has for you. And God is going to bless you and his favor is going to be put on you. And now Paul is saying, or God is saying, because Paul you've surrendered my blessings and my favor is going to be upon you. Here's a boat I'm going to provide for you. Uh, the weather is going to be at your back. You're going to make great timing. Not only, not only is the, the weather great for Paul, and not only does now he have a boat, notice what it says in verse number 10. And after we had seen the vision, immediately we... That, that, that word we is very important because the human author of the book of Acts, Luke, the doctor, the physician, up until this point he was describing the scenes and the scenarios saying they went to this place and they went to Asia and they went here. But now he says we, which meant that Luke, Luke the physician, he uh, joins Paul on his missionary journey here in Troas. Paul, uh, Luke joins in with him. That would have been a huge blessing for Paul. That, that would have been a huge encouragement for Paul. But P- Paul loved Luke. He talked about him all the time. He was the beloved physician. In fact, it, it says this in Colossians 4, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse ten eleven 11 says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. So Paul said, When everybody else. When everybody else decided uh, to leave me, when everybody else was gone, Luke was still here with me. Paul suffered many uh, physical infirmities. Paul had the thorn in the flesh. Paul, Paul had physical trials that he endured. It would have been a great blessing to have a doctor, to have Luke on his team. And so now, not only is God saying, here's a boat, let me provide that for you. Here, the weather is good, let me provide that for you. Now he's saying, here, let me add to your team. Let me give you encouragement and provide you a strong relationship that'll propel you into the future that I have for you. See, God knows how to bring the right relationships into our lives at just the right time. God knows how to bring providential relationships that will be there to hold you accountable and to encourage you and to develop you and to strengthen your relationship. Uh, All throughout scripture, people worked in teams and God provided certain relationships, even relationships that sometimes sting and sometimes hurt that God uses providentially to help us. When, when David sinned in the Old Testament uh, with Bathsheba, God sent a man named Nathan, and Nathan looked at David and said, uh, David, thou art the man, that the problem is you, David. You've sinned against the Lord, and, and, and that brought about that conviction in David's heart. Now, now, we don't necessarily like conviction because it hurts and it stings a little bit, but it's interesting that the name Nathan means gift, because conviction viewed the right way is actually a gift. And so God brought in Nathan into David's life to say, hey, you need to get back on track, and God used that relationship. I wonder in your life, who are those people that can hold you accountable? Who are those people that can encourage you and develop you? Who is in your inner circle that can strengthen and develop you? And if you're thinking, well, I don't have anybody like that, then be that person for somebody else. See, Paul welcomed this. Paul loved to to work as a team, and and Paul loved that, that Luke was joining in with him because spiritual maturity looks to embrace accountability, While immaturity looks to escape accountability. An immature person doesn't want accountability. They look to escape it. But maturity says, I welcome it. I I embrace it. And so now God is building, building his team. And Luke is added to the team. By the way, I believe that God wants to do his work in relationships. I believe that God wants to do his work as a team together. The Bible says striving together together for the faith of the gospel. A lot of times in our, in our lives, we have this lone ranger mentality, like, well, forget everybody else. I'm just going to do it. No, that's not how God intended for us to live. He wants us to live in relationships. He wants us to thrive in relationships. That's why connection groups, small groups, that's why they're so important to get involved and to get plugged in, because we thrive in these relationships. And now in this story in Acts chapter 16, that Paul has this heart of surrender that says, God, even though it was frustrating, I didn't know where to go, but now that I have a heart of surrender, God's favor followed. And now God's saying, okay, here's a boat. Let me provide that. The weather's good. Let me add to your team. And God's blessing him along the way. So God's favor will follow our surrender. Notice number four this morning. Sometimes your vision won't match your reality. Sometimes your vision won't match your reality. If you're still with me, say yes. Yes. Verse 12, it says this, And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony... And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. Everybody say opened. That she attended unto the things which were spoken of. Paul. So Paul and his team, they traveled to Uh, Philippi. This was a chief city. This was an important city in this, in, in Europe, in Macedonia, and the Bible says that Paul, he goes to uh, the, the river, there's, a, there's kind of like a, a prayer group of this ladies' prayer group, this ladies' Bible study that's taking place, and that's where Paul finds himself. Now, th- this was typically not what Paul would do. If you study Paul's missionary journeys, typically what he would do when he would enter a new city is he would go to the synagogue. That's, that's always where he went. He would go to the synagogue, he would open up the scriptures, and he would preach about Jesus, and he would preach the gospel. But here, when he gets to Philippi, he goes down by the river. Now, uh, to operate in Jewish culture, to operate a synagogue, you had to have, it required at least 10 Jewish men to run the synagogue. And so most people believe that, that Philippi didn't have 10 men that wanted to operate a synagogue, so they didn't have one. And so Paul didn't go to the synagogue. He goes to the river, and there he meets Lydia. The Bible says that Lydia was a seller of purple. Uh, Lydia is a very interesting woman in Scripture, and, and the fact that the Bible says that, that she is a seller of purple uh, lets us know a few things about her life. It meant that she was a businesswoman. It meant that she was uh, no doubt wealthy. She was a wealthy businesswoman. Uh, the process of selling this purple w- was an intricate process. In Thyatira, basically what they would do is uh, they, they would have these divers that would dive into the ocean. They would, they would find these little shellfish, and uh, they would find one shellfish, and they would get that shellfish, and they would cut its throat, and out of its throat would drop one, one drop of dye. And that one drop of dye mixed with certain chemicals would produce colors that you couldn't get anywhere else in the world. And so as a result, it was very tedious, very timely, and very rare, and very expensive. And so Lydia was a seller of purple. She was, no doubt, a wealthy businesswoman. But here's, here's what's so interesting. That's not the vision that Paul saw back in verse 9. Notice what it says in verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. So the Macedonian man turned out to be a woman from Thyatira. So, what happens when your vision doesn't match your reality? What happens when the reality of what you experience is a little bit different than what you expected? A lot of times we have, we have an idea or a thought of how certain things should go. We have expectations, and sometimes our expectations are a little bit different than the reality of what we experience. What happens when you're not at the point in your career that you'd hoped you'd be in at this time? What happens when your children aren't turning out how you thought they would turn out? What happens when you don't have enough, uh, as much money in your bank account as you thought you might have? What happens when your reality is different than what your dreams were and what your vision was? This happened to John the Baptist in Matthew chapter number 11 when he was in prison. When John the Baptist was in prison, he had, he had some expectations of how things would go when the Messiah came, right? When the Messiah came, there was prophecies that the lame would leap and that, that the chains would fall off. And here John the Baptist is in chains in prison, and he's thinking, this isn't how I thought it would go. And so John the Baptist sends message to Jesus, and he sends his, uh, sends his disciples over there and says, are you really the one? Are you the Messiah? Which is... Interesting, because John the Baptist was the greatest man to be born among women, Jesus said, and even he had doubts about who Jesus was. And he said, Jesus, are you really the one? Are you the coming Messiah? And it's so great how Jesus responds, because he responds with Scripture about the coming Messiah. And then he says in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus responds by saying, Blessed is he, whosoever is not offended in me. Blessed is he, whosoever is not offended in me. So when the reality of what you experience— is different than what you expected. Jesus said, don't be offended. When the reality of what you experience is a little bit different than what you expected, don't be offended. Blessed is he whosoever is not offended in me. And so sometimes we know that the reality is going to be a little bit different than our vision. It's going to look a little bit differently. But in those moments, we've got to just say, God, it doesn't make complete sense to me, but I'm just going to keep on trusting you. I'm just going to keep my faith strong and secure in you. And even though I don't understand it all, I'm just trusting that your ways... Are not my ways and God, I'm just holding on to you. I'm not trusting in my own plans and my own thoughts, how I think that thing should go. God, I'm trusting in you. This looks a little bit differently than I expected, but I'm just going to trust you anyways. I'm going to keep on holding on. Jeremiah 29 verse number 11 says, "For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end." See, this could have been so frustrating for Paul. Here Paul is. And uh, he's trying to do what God wants him to do, go and start churches. And God has said no and no, and you can't go here. And then Paul shows up to the river, and he's like, God, this is why I couldn't go to Asia. This is why I couldn't go to Bithynia to start churches, because you wanted me to come to this women's prayer group. But see, Paul had no idea the work that was about to expand. Paul had no idea about Lydia and the church at Philippi being started. And Paul had no idea that the gospel would spread like wildfire throughout Europe. See, God had a plan that Paul was unaware of, and God's plan was far better than Paul's plan. And so Paul is learning throughout this process, throughout this season, to trust trust God. Notice number five this morning, and we'll be done. We've got to understand when it comes to navigating through uncertainty that God's will is not always plain, but it is always perfect. God's will is not always plain, but it is always perfect. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 15. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And I love how, how this section of Acts 16 concludes. It begins in verse number 6 and 7 with doors being closed. God says, no, can't go there. Closed door, closed door. But it ends with open hearts. It ends with Lydia opening her heart, opening her home. And and God knows how to take a closed door and turn it into an open heart, into open homes, into open opportunities for the gospel to be spread. And now Lydia, her life has changed forever. She opens up her home. Her salvation led to service, which is the way that it's supposed to be. If you've been saved, if you've been redeemed, then a natural byproduct, a natural response should be to serve. The Bible says in Romans 12, sir, it's it's my reasonable service. It makes sense to serve God in light of everything that he has done. For us, and so now Lydia, she's changed forever, and uh, she is now serving, and, and we're starting to see God's plan unfold a little bit. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter number one, verses three through five. Pa- Paul's writing to uh, some of his best friends of the church at Philippi. He started this church, and he loved these people dearly. He's in prison, but listen to what brought him joy, and listen to what brought him encouragement. Philippians one, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day. Everybody say first day. From the first day until now. Well, when was the first day? That day by the river with Lydia. So here's Paul in prison going through a difficult season. What brought him joy? Thinking back to that day by the river when Lydia opened up her heart and opened up her home and he's starting to see God's plan unfolding. Now, I want you to see this. We'll close with this in verses 6 and 7. I want to go back to the beginning and see where this, where this text began. The Bible says this, Now when they had gone throughout Ferga and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Okay? So the first place that Paul could not go, the first place that God said no was Asia. Notice verse 7. And they were come to Mycenae, they say to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. So the two places that Paul wanted to go, Asia in Bithynia. That's where God said no. Those were the two places. You ever wondered what happened over there in Asia and Bithynia? If God said no, Paul, you can't go there. Well, what, what ended up happening there? The Bible says in First Peter 1 verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. See, God already had it covered. What Paul didn't know was that God was already deploying missionaries to that area. What Paul didn't know is that Peter was going there. God already had it covered. See, God's will is not always plain, but it is always perfect. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to us why God puts up a closed door and why God says no. But God's will is always perfect, and we just need to know that God is the ultimate orchestrator of life. And even when details don't fall in place for us and don't make sense to us, God is still in control. He's still on his throne. He's completely sovereign, and he knows What's going on? It's not always plain, but it is always perfect. I read a story about uh, there's an author, Kent Crockett, and he tells a story in his book about uh, in the 1930s there was this uh, giant blimp, and uh, they had, uh, the story says, 250 men that were holding onto a rope, holding onto this blimp. And uh, they were all holding it, they were getting ready to tie this blimp down. Well, a big gust of wind kind of just took off. And uh, a lot of these guys that were holding on to the blimp, they kind of went up with it. Some guys let go. Some guys held on for a little bit. Some guys got seriously injured. But there was this one guy that was holding on to the blimp, and he ended up going higher and higher all by himself for 45 minutes. He just kept on going higher and higher, holding on to this blimp. Finally, they rescued him. They got the blimp back down, and news reporters came, and they said, Man, why did you hold on to that blimp for so long? Why did you hold on to that rope for so long? And he said, I didn't hold on to the rope. Before that thing took off, I tied it around my waist, and the rope held on to me. You know, the reality is, is we can go throughout life trying to hold on to the rope as best we can, and trying to figure things out the best we can, relying on our own strength, or we can let God hold on to us. We can say, you know what, it doesn't make complete sense to me, but I'm just going to let go and let God take care of me, and let God guide and direct me. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths.
0: Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.